do thank you that we gather together in your name. And we pray that you would help us by your grace to turn our attention to you. That you would open up our hearts and our minds to you and to your presence and the work that you desire to do both in us and through us. And so we do pray and say, speak, Lord, your servants are listening. For it is in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. This morning when I got up, I got up and it's like, okay, what do I have to do today? And um, so I thought about what was on my calendar, two major services, one here, and then one later this afternoon at Christ the King in Azalea Park. They are celebrating actually two congregations under two separate clergy actually becoming one, with those two clergy becoming co rectors. Uh, one is an old, older congregation, almost entirely Anglo, who originally lived in the Azalea Park neighborhood, but are now are scattered all over the city. And then the other is a Spanish-speaking congregation, and they have a Spanish-speaking service. And those are in many ways the new neighbors uh, who now live in that same Azalea Park neighborhood. Uh, Jose Rodriguez is, has headed up the Spanish-speaking congregation, and Edward Weiss, the Reverend Doctor, a physician, uh, has headed up the English-speaking congregation. And this is a major milestone in the life of that church that has continued to be committed to serving the neighborhood because parishes at their best really do draw people. But again, the real heartbeat of how we understand the role of the parish is that you're planted in a geographic location for a very specific purpose. And therefore, out of that, it's like, okay, God, these are the people that you've called us to. Show us how it is that we minister to them. Help us find ways to connect and to reach out and to build those kinds of relationships within the community. And this congregation has really, in an extraordinarily way, done that. More often than not, it's not the case. What actually happens is that as there is a transition in the neighborhood, particularly if it's socioeconomic or racial, that you have a group of people who are still there, and they've moved out, though. They're now, they have now houses in other places. But out of loyalty to that congregation, they stay, and they come in. But, of course, there's attrition uh, the congregation ages. People can no longer attend in the same way that they used to. They can't make the drive, especially if it's 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes away, uh, which is true for Christ the King. And, um, but then what typically happens is that the congregation eventually folds up. They, they don't do the transition to say, we were called to this neighborhood. That calling has not changed. Therefore, God, what would you have us do? And yet this congregation really has done that. I say that because there's a direct tie between me telling you that story, <laughs> at least in my mind as the preacher, we'll see. Um, and what I believe is the heartbeat lesson that is all through these lessons. 
You see, in every single case, whether it be in the story of Isaiah or the story of Peter or in the story of Paul, they had one idea. God had a very different idea. And therefore, they were faced, each one, with a crucial, crucible, a choosing point, whether they would continue to follow in the way that they had known or whether they would be available for God in a whole new way that he had opened up to them that was not what they had expected at all. That's what was true for Isaiah, of course. He's just ministering in the temple. He has no idea about what's going to happen, that he's going to wind up being the center part of a Steven Spielberg spirit-inspired extravaganza with angels and live coals and all of that. And he realizes when that begins to happen around him that who he is is no longer useful. That's the heart. I am undone. In other words, the whole purpose of who I am is now broken. Who is this that I have seen the Lord? According to my understanding of how God works, I should be dying at this moment. No one can see, be in the presence of God and live. That was how they understood things. So that the fact that he was, it was like, my death is upon me. That's what he's saying here. And yet, what God does is entirely different. What is mediated through the live coal of an angel is a new purpose, a new calling, and an ability to do what would have been absolutely impossible. In other words, out of his intimacy with God, his new renewed fire that has been placed within him, God is sending him to the nation of Israel, but no longer as an apparatus of the establishment, which is who he was as a priest in the temple, but instead actually to speak as an outsider to, an org- to a system that was under judgment. And what he was called to do, and I certainly do not envy him, was that he was to prophesy judgment, knowing that it would not be received until far later, until the very generation to which he was prophesying had long abandoned the nation of Israel. It's not a total tragedy because the last line in the lesson is, but the holy seed is in the stump. In other words, after all of the clearing away, there is something new that God is going to birth here. But your job right now is to actually call people to repentance and know that they will not hear you. That is not the vocation that Isaiah had initially signed up for. The same, of course, is true for Paul, his dramatic story of his conversion. And I was sent out to do one thing, and God turned me around, struck me blind. I was supernaturally healed through Brother Ananias. God raised me up and gave me a whole new message. And the heartbeat of the message is, in fact, the possibility and the invitation to this kind of transformation, which is why where Paul starts is first I handed on to you as of first importance what I'd received that what Christ died for our sins according to the scripture can I can I tell you that the promise of forgiveness of sins of being made right with God are the most precious words any human being can speak to another 
There's nothing else that begins to rival it. That somehow the sin and the guilt that is so profoundly within me, deeply within me, within the very fabric of my body, how my mind works and operates, is in fact going to be cleansed out of me by the forgiving word of God. Now, that won't happen completely until I see him face to face, which is why where we began the service was... And this was a prayer for Christians, not for non-believers. Set us free from the bondage of our sins. In other words, we still live within a system, a human body, a way of thinking, and a world that is profoundly crippled. Profoundly crippled. And any declaration of what it means to be church or what it means to be someone who is in the ordained ministry, or those who are here to be confirmed, that gets away from the present reality of the fact that I am praying to God to set me free, and it's not over yet, will automatically take me into places of pride and arrogance. In other words, the heartbeat of what the forgiveness of sin produces is both an extraordinary supernatural gratitude. Sort of like, how did I get in on this? I did say that one time to God. I was a part of a worship service, and it was in another city, and it was, I was just there in the pew. I had no responsibility whatsoever. And it was just so lovely. There was such a wonderful tenderness about it. The presence of God was just so evident. And what rose out of my heart, I just looked up and I said, God, how did I get in on this? That there really is that kind of gratitude. And even in the question, how did I get in on this? A profound work of humility. That I am the bearer of that which has been entrusted to me for which I I deserve nothing. That God in his beauty has said, You belong to me. I touch your mouth with the hot coal of the altar to cleanse, to purge, and to fit you for that which I've called you to. And that that will continue to happen again and again and again. And we need to be reminded, which is why almost always in the scripture, both in the Old and New Testament, the call is to humble yourself. In other words, I have to take responsibility for the fact that my pride battles are not over yet. My need to be absolutely certain about everything is not over yet. That my desire to try to be sure-footed on a path that I know, determined to be obedient to what has been given to me, not looking to my right or to my left, can in fact be a work of the flesh. And not an expression of humility, but a prideful sense of certainty that has no place in the Christian life. You see, to humble yourself means I have to learn this. How do I learn how to be humble? What do I do? What is the calling when the scripture says humble yourself? How do I do that? Well, let me just give you a list. More often than not, humility is learned through the open confession of sin. 
being honest before God in a way that is almost impossible with almost any human being. He is the one to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, no secrets are hid. It also comes by learning to give your money away. I mean, if you talk about humility, one of the fruits of that is, is a generosity. It has to do with, it's not my own. All things come of thee, O Lord, and of thine own have we given thee, and therefore I'm giving it to you. It also comes by learning to serve people in need. The homeless, feeding the hungry. Which is why in every instance of church planting in the Bible, there is an outreach to the poor is a part of what it is that they do. Because it's one of the ways that I learn appreciation and gratitude for what it is that I have, where I begin to encounter people who are very, very different from me and who begin to challenge my prejudicial understanding of who is and who is not blessed because I begin to look at the other and realize that in the, at, before God, we stand precisely in the same place that there is no elevations at the foot of the cross, quite the opposite. And if I've been given in some way some level of financial security, it is arrogance, it is not humility to hold on to it, just the opposite. It is my calling to share it because they are no better than me. And in fact, my money can, could be a snare. It comes from spending daily time in prayer with God, sharing your heart, Learning from Scripture, letting the Bible speak to you to both affirm the things that are true and challenge the assumptions of that which we believe to be true but may or may not be biblical. It's learning how to quickly apologize when you are wrong. The humble person knows how to say, I'm sorry. And not just, I'm sorry if I hurt you. That's a non-apology. It's I'm sorry because I know I did hurt you, and therefore I need to ask you to forgive me. It's also you forgiving (laughs) when you have been wronged, whether they apologize to you or not. Showing honor to others. Being more curious than emphatic with people with whom you disagree. Wanting to learn from them, particularly if you're talking about a sister or brother in Jesus. I want to know more about why this is so important to you. To walk like that requires, in fact, a community of trust. Walking with God and one another can be tricky business. None of us are above using others for our own ends and using a thus saith the Lord as a way to justify it. That's why again and again in the scripture, the, 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 the way of discernment encapsulated in what they did in the book of Acts again and again was, it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us, not me. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, Paul writes. So we are learning together knowing that any one of us can be captivated by a place of arrogance that we may not even have intended. You know, the things that I do that I don't even know that I do that are wrong or just a part of who I am as well as anybody else. And I will never discover them unless we find a way to walk together 
and to learn from one another. Otherwise, I am left to the loneliness of my own discernment. And my tendency in that moment is to surround myself with people who I know will agree with me rather than being willing to be challenged by those who speak a different language and a word and have a different understanding than I do because all of us are subject to the kind of cultural forces that are so much a part of what it means to be in the world. And because that's the case, I have to be willing to go outside of my world to see what parts of my world are in fact a part of what God is judging as opposed to what it is that God is blessing. Ray Ortland, a man I deeply appreciate, who's a person of real courage, by the way, he puts, this, puts it this way. God does not play favorites. No one gets in the kingdom of God prior boarding and extra leg room without all of the rest of us getting the same thing. Everyone must come in humility, holding out the empty hands of faith, or we don't come at all. God shows no partiality, which is why even in the gospel lesson, Jesus is trying to show Peter the unlimited nature of his generosity. Remember, there's so many fish that nobody could have said, well, there just happened to school there that day. The nets are breaking. The, the boats are sinking. They're having to make their way to the shore, hoping they don't lose everything. And Peter knows enough to know that what he's seeing is a miracle. Did you notice what he did, though? What he didn't do was, hallelujah, we don't have to work for the next six weeks. Instead, what he said was, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. I don't have what it takes to be in league with you. (laughs) You're the Lord of all creation. Who am I? Well, you don't even know the half of it. But, of course, God did. But it was the kindness of his invitation. Oh, Peter. No, no, from now on you will be catching people. And providing for him right in front of him all that he would need to enter into that sacrificial, creative call that would eventually actually result in his martyrdom. We don't have a place for martyrdom in our culture. Because what we want is what we want, what we want for God to do is to do everything that will make us feel better. It's not it. It's just not that. Listen to the sisters and brothers in other parts of the world for whom, I mean, right now I'm getting messages from friends of mine in Pakistan through one of their bishops, a man named Azad Marshall, um, because one of his fellow clergy was just shot dead on the street and no one was arrested. That's what many of our sisters and brothers live with. And yet look at the generosity of what God has given us, you see. And if the principles of the scripture hold true, that means we're making extra time to pray for them. We're finding ways to serve people because we have been given more than enough in comparison to their lack. And who am I to hoard? Far be it from me. Set me free from the bondage of my sins, God, where I want things to go the way I want them to. And worse, I want to use God and the Holy Spirit to justify it. The Lord has led me to say, God does speak prophetically. I am not in any way demeaning that. 
But that is also the result of mutual discernment where the leadership comes together and say, are we hearing a word from God in this or not? Because it may not be, even if I am utterly convinced that it is. Set us free from the bondage of our sins and give us the liberty of that abundant life which you have made known to us in your son. That's the cry of our hearts. And it is out of that that these people are going to come this morning, not in a moment of arrogance, but in fact, notice when they come, the words that they will say, the laying on of hands that they will receive. It's like, for me to do this, I need God's help. I need all the help I can get. Please pray for me. Because that's how all of us come. (laughs) That's how all of us remain. That's how all of us stay is by that that kind of mutual love, care, and intercession. And out of that, be a witness to this community so that when we connect with people and they begin to tell their stories, they'll finally look at us because we're sharing ours too, and they'll go, oh, you too, huh? So maybe there is room for me. And we say without any sense of irony, there is always room at the foot of the cross of Christ. So with that, let's move into this time together. Say with great humility and yet joy, I will with God's help and see what God will do here at Good Shepherd Maitland in this community to which you've been called to serve. Amen. You're going to want to turn, please, in your bulletin. We are on page 10.